Welcome to 2024 and the Reorg Primary Review, where we cover the latest developments in high-yield, distressed debt, and bankruptcy, and feature discussions on issues affecting distressed debt, leveraged finance, direct lending, high-yield bonds, high-yield municipals, covenants, private credit, middle market companies. I'm David Zupkis. This week, to kick off the new year, Reorg's municipals reporter, Hua Huan, speaks with Alice Chang, Vice President of the Capital Markets Group at Janie Montgomery Scott about the 2024 outlook for the municipal market. They discuss bright spots across sectors as well as signs of concerns as pandemic relief funds begin to sunset in the new year. And as always, we're bringing you our weekly summary of interesting developments in the restructuring world as well as a preview of what's on tap for next week. We'd love to hear your feedback to help us improve the podcast experience, so please take a moment to complete the short survey at the link attached to the podcast and let us know how we're doing. It's Monday, January 8th. Welcome to the first episode in 2024 of the Reorg Primary View podcast. My name is Huang Nguyen, Municipals Reporter at Reorg, and I'm pleased to have Alice Chang, Vice President of the Capital Markets Group at Jenny Montgomery Scott with me here today. Welcome, Alice. Thank you, Hua. Thank you for having me today and happy holidays and happy New Year's to you and to our listeners. And to you as well. Um, Alice works with the public finance, trading, underwriting, and sales vertical of Jenny's municipal franchise, providing comprehensive credit coverage to assist Jenny's sales force and institutional investors. She has over 10 years of experience in the industry, covering municipal credits across asset classes, including general obligation, tax and revenue-backed debt, healthcare, utilities, infrastructure, transportation, and various P3 projects. Once again, welcome to our discussion this afternoon, Alice. With the last Federal Open Market Committee meeting of the year behind us, the market is gearing up for 2024 with a series of rate cuts as we expect inflation to cool down. Meanwhile, municipal yields have continued to rally for the last two months of 2023, piggybacking on the movements in the treasuries that we've seen. And so to kickstart our conversation today, could you tell us more about how the market has reacted to the Fed announcements last week, the week of December 11th? Sure. So last week, the Fed left interest rate unchanged for the fourth time after more than a year of aggressive rate hikes. The decision was made after data showing the U.S. economy has slowed in the fourth quarter compared to the third quarter. The dovish Fed response led to muni market rally last week, and the market is betting on a rate cut as early as March 2024. Mm-hmm. On Friday, Fed's Williams said it is too early to be thinking about rate cuts in March, and that sentiment was echoed by Bostic. Mm-hmm. He said his expectation is that there will only be two rate cuts in 2024, with the first one coming in Q3. But even with the relatively hawkish comments, MMD improved 20 basis points as of Friday last week, and BVAL Muni Bond Index gained 1.2% on a total return basis. That's so interesting. Um, so kind of just diving in right into the outlooks for the new year, how do you expect each municipal sector to perform um, this coming year, and why do you anticipate more bright spots versus more signs of stress? 
Sure. So just want to give a high level recap of this year um, on the macro, uh, macro view. A lot happened in 2023. So raging inf- inflations, rising interest rate, looming recession, regional bank failures, debt ceiling debate lasted for weeks, which led to the U.S. sovereign's rating were downgraded by Fitch and then Moody's put a negative outlook on it. Issuance volume for Muni was suppressed by high interest rate, market volatility, and the issues issuers were flushed with pandemic aid. Nevertheless, credit qualities of many issuers have improved. Mm-hmm. As we move on to 2024, the outlook for Muni as a whole is stable, but with an overarching theme of coping with higher labor and O&M costs, which in turn will be reducing their financial flexibilities. Credit qualities for state and local government entities will remain strong. However, revenue growth that we have seen over the last couple of years have have peaked Mm -hmm. and perhaps are starting to experience some mild declines. Balance sheets will continue to be healthy due to the direct and indirect benefits of federal stimulus money. Issuers with credit fundamentals that were strong, they got stronger. And issuers um, have weaker financial conditions. They also improved meaningfully as a result. For tax-backed credits, especially those are economically sensitive, such as sales tax, income tax, hotel occupancy taxes, Revenue growth rates are expected to flatten as consumer spending slows, which, by the way, is supporting FOMC's decision to put a hold on rate hikes. Mm-hmm. As federal aid will be exhausted by the end of 24, it will be a true test to, dif- to differentiate prudent financial management practices from the weaker ones. And it will be interesting time to see how each entity makes budget adjustments in light of a lower or negative revenue growth in a higher cost environment. Across munis, essential services such as utilities, water, sewer, and towed facilities are expected to remain stable. Generally speaking, these sectors enjoyed rate increased flexibilities throughout the pandemic and beyond. Because of their essentiality, they will continue to have healthy demand and therefore be able to maintain excellent liquidities and operating results. Mm. You asked about a bright spot. Mm-hmm. Everyone yeah. loves a good travel story. I think <laughs> you know where I'm getting at, especially a good one from your vacations, right? Mm-hmm. So. Airports will continue to be a bright spot for next year. Remote or hybrid work arrangements are the biggest drivers for the consistent growth in 2023. Travelers were unfazed by the the elevated airfares, increased delay and crowded airports. They continue to explore domestic and international destinations throughout the year. In fact, TSA checkpoint travel numbers for the second half of 23 exceeded the 2019 levels by 2.6% as of December 13th. That's like, that's like the true sign of uh, quote-unquote revenge travel that we've, we've been seeing on the news these days. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. But airline capacity could be a limiting factor and can drive air travel costs even higher. But it is not a major concern as of now because airlines will always work out and find a sweet spot to maximize their economies. Mm -hmm. 
and um, changes in travel patterns as a result of um, remote work arrangements will further allow travelers to have more flexibilities to get on a flight during the week. So that kind of pattern will allow more um, volume as well. And this shift in demand will likely to accelerate many airport improvement projects in the pipeline to reduce the capacity constraints for them. That's an interesting point that you raised because I don't think I've ever put the work from home hybrid work model with the, I guess, the rise of the airports and, you know, the resurgence of air travels. But that's that's definitely an interesting point. Because instead of getting on the plane on a Friday, mm-hmm. you can probably go on a Wednesday instead. Mm-hmm. So then you can avoid the weekend surges as well. For um, sure. You can get to your destination on Thursday morning and work from there and then start the day with a party somewhere in Miami <laughs> or something. Um, so now that we covered the goods, let's talk about some of the concerns for next year. Mm-hmm. A few sectors still need more time to fully recover from the pandemic, in my opinion. They are the healthcare and the higher education sectors and mass transit systems. Although rating agencies have revised some of their negative um, outlooks to positive, uh, sorry, to stable recently, I think they still need more time um, to fully recover. So, for example, um, healthcare and high ed sectors, um, I'm lumping them together because they're quite similar, Mm -hmm. Um, diminishing um, federal stimulus funding will reduce financial flexibility of the two sectors significantly. These sectors Both have very competitive operating landscapes, high labor costs, increased capital needs, and weaker cash cushions will continue to be credit constraints for them. Demographic shifts aren't helping either. Decade-long of high low birth rates could be one of the reasons for low college enrollments. Um, Slower immigration during and post-pandemic reduced enrollment as well. Mm-hmm. Elevated cost for college education also affected enrollment to private university and colleges, especially. And also, if the size of these schools are smaller, liberal arts schools. And um, aging population is putting a lot of additional burdens on our healthcare systems, and not to mention Medicare payment reduction in 2024 for doctors and hospitals will further pressure hospitals overall profitability. And last but not least, as many of us still enjoy um, the hybrid work arrangements that I mentioned, a lot of perks, um, as a result, many mass transit systems are still trying to get the ridership back to the pre-pandemic levels and the convenience of ride sharing and the first and the last mile alternatives such as the use of cycling or e-scooter can Mm -hmm. also be attributed to the prolonged recovery in the sectors because mass transit systems are usually located in um, metropolitan centers where these um, alternatives are very accessible. Mm-hmm, for sure. So I guess like the big picture takeaway I got from from your commentary just now is that munis really are a resilient um, asset class compared to you know its counterparts in the corporate markets. Um, and um, yeah, it's it's just great to hear that we're expecting to see a lot more bright spots <laughs> in this <laughs> year. Um, 
So kind of pushing gears a little bit, I know that Jenny works with a lot of local government and school district issuers. Um, and with more pandemic relief aids sunsetting in the new year, as you just mentioned before, how do you expect municipalities to adjust their borrowing and budgeting? And uh, what does your issuance forecast look like for 2024? Yeah, so um, for our audiences, um, just a reminder, um, in 2021, there was the American Rescue Plan, which is the ARPA mm -hmm. allocation, um, allocated a total of $65 billion to cities and counties with a population of over 250,000. Mm -hmm. And these cities and counties can use the fund for a wide range of purposes as long as they satisfy the goal to address longstanding health social and economic disparities impacted by the pandemic. That include financing operations and investment, also capital improvement projects. However, the deadline for the state and local government to commit the allocation of these funding is the end of 2024. And as of June this year, cities and counties committed about 85% of their ARPA funds, mm -hmm. of which um, total of 55 billions, of which 30 billions were spent down already, and 8.8 .8 billions are earmarked for ongoing projects. That means leaving on the table is roughly 25 billions of unallocated uh, funding that will be sunsetting, expiring by the end of next year. Um, Federal funding, um, stimulus funding in the form of CARES Act money or ARPA money have proven to be the primary drivers that temporarily and artificially allowed a steady trend of revenue growth for state and local governments and essentially bolster the overall credit qualities. General, generally speaking, the issuers financial, they are financially responsible, although some of them did rely on pandemic aid to um, fix their existing budget deficits and um, balance the budget and use the cash to fund capital projects instead of going to the markets. So with the COVID aid slowly going away, they will return to the reality that expenditure growth perhaps will be outpacing revenue increases in the new year. And we expect to see more issuers be cutting expenditures to maintain budget balance. And some of them may even draw on reserve to, um, if their negative um, budget variance is wider than they have anticipated. Um, some of the, I guess, hints for financial headwinds for them to juggle monies around is perhaps um, starting to see them delaying the full funding of OPAP um, or pension um, requirements, uh, funding contributions, and deficit financing or internal borrowing. So these are some of the um, budgetary gimmicks that they could use to still maintain budget balance um, before anything um, too terrible has happened. So um, one of the unintended consequences of these um, federal stimulus money is that state and local government are flushed with um, cash. So mm -hmm. they didn't go to market quite a lot last uh, this year. Mm -hmm. So, and given the higher interest rate as well, uni issuance in 2022 dropped by 22%. Mm -hmm. And 23 is expecting to finish at around $370 billion or a 5% lower year over year. Mm -hmm. 
So for 24, I think we can't really talk about borrowing without um, acknowledging the current market conditions, right? Um, as mentioned earlier, inflation is slowing, uh, slowly stabilizing, and the FOMC um, signaled rate cuts for next year with the long-term target rate at 2% to 2.25%. And the market is looking at a six, six rate cuts through January 2025 um, to 3.7% um, interest rate. So given that information, Jenny is forecasting the long-term issuance volume in 24 to be slightly higher than this year, um, ranging between 385 to 405 billion dollars and the market expects the first rate cut to be in March. Mm -hmm. um, you know two of the FOMC members already said it may be too early. So at Jenny we expect issuance won't be immediately um, coming back um, mm -hmm. you know the first half of 2024. It will remain pretty subdued um, wow. until um, the second half of the year. And um, we know that some of the issuer still have that $25 billion of pandemic aid on hand. So they either go with cash or they can wait until um, interest rate environment is more favorable before mm -hmm. they jump in again. So overall, we expect the volume to remain below historic averages mm -hmm. and um to answer your question about how municipalities will be adjusting the borrowing in 2024 by saying cash funding of capital capital project will likely be in the rearview mirror after mm -hmm. next year, which is a welcoming news for a lot of municipal uh, market participants um, because volume is where everybody um, get involved. Um, so, but the rate, are still too high in 2024 to be um, to make refunding to be um, generate enough savings and mm -hmm. to make sense. Therefore, majority of the issuance will still be new money. Mm -hmm. That's that's an interesting comment. I I did hear from from folks in the market that I've spoken to lately that there's still gonna be projects that needs to be done and there's this like pent up demands this past year because people were just like kind of spooked by all the rate hikes. Um, so it's, it's I guess it's slightly a, an optimistic viewpoint to see the, the volume to increase a little bit next year. Yeah, it, it is because um, a lot of issuers do try to weigh it out for a best time to go to market. So with the, I guess, with the vision that we have seen the end of the tunnel, this is definitely a welcoming um, sentiment to end this year. Mm -hmm, for sure. Um, and so to illustrate some of like in you know more technical terms, some of the things that you just explained to us, um, could you please walk us through some of the pricing data as well as credit spreads trends across different sectors in 2023 compared to 2022? And, and what can this tell us about the near term? Sure. Um, well, when you get into technical parts, things get a little bit less interesting, <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> um, but I'm trying to connect the dots. Um, so as we are moving away from the pandemic, um, pricing and um, credit spreads data trends generally in steps with the credit trends that we just talked about. 
um, the BVAL AAA yield curve had an interesting shift over the last year, starting out with it begin to steepen at the front end. And due to that's because of the expectation of rate heights and looming recession in the short term horizon. Mm-hmm. In mid 2023, the front end steepened further and the, sh- the, the curve shifted higher. But as of last week, um, the curve largely remained inverted, but shifted lower entirely after a round, another round of market rally. The belly of the curve is now at seven years, and yields are lower by 21 basis point at the belly compared to the same time last year. Mm-hmm. The longer end is largely unchanged with um, the shape and the yield um, largely resemble what we have seen at the end of 2022 as well. Ten year, um, the triple A Muni 10 years callable yields are now lower by 20 basis points as of Friday, Friday compared to a year ago. And triple B Muni 10 year callable yields moved up, however, by 50 basis points compared to the same period of time. Um, credit spreads generally narrowed as um, compared to two years ago, um, one or two years ago, because um, due to the improved credit qualities across the Muni universe, spreads for double A and single A names narrow by about 60 basis point year over year. As we go down to the credit um, scale, yield spreads widen. Triple mm-hmm. B um, Muni bond index ended last week with 25 basis point lower than the prior year. Mm-hmm. But um, in the high yield space, um, yield uh, spreads are still remain slightly higher than last year and two years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of pricing, based on my observation, high-grade bonds are generally still priced um, at a premium at this point, Mm -hmm. with the front end closer to par. And um, 2033 to 2035 is where we see the most premium um, lately. And I have seen fewer bonds priced um, in the primary market with discounts. Mm-hmm. And the few that I have seen are generally having some ongoing credit challenges there. Um, but overall, regarding sectors or um, whether it's state or local government, um, premium, premium bonds um, generally have more tendency than um, discounted bonds. In terms of the sector, Double A flat geo spreads are tighter today than the last two years by about 11 basis point. Double um, A flat geo composite particularly have spread that are lower than the triple A benchmark by 16 basis point year over year. And double A flat local bond, local geo bonds and double A minus revenue bonds both tightened by about seven basis point year over year. And all of these sectors with stable outlook that we talked about earlier have tighter spreads. And um, here's another bright spot for you. Um, Mm -hmm. Spreads for transportation sector particularly um, tightened meaningfully year over year. For example, A1 transportation bonds are 35 basis points narrower and A1 airports are 21 basis points narrower year over year. Yeah. 
So um, same thing for healthcare and higher ed because um, generally speaking, their credit quality have improved, right? So um, the spreads also narrowed um, compared to last year, reflecting the improvement and stabilization um, of their credit qualities in the sector as a whole. Um, sectors that are seeing the opposites are power and the housing sector because the power utility sectors is still facing more energy and environmental um, related challenges out there. And that makes sense that the spreads are overall um, widening. And lastly is the mortgage rates nowadays is the highest um, compared to 23 years ago. So um, this is driving the housing sector spreads um, to widen accordingly as well. Wow, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and yeah, I guess, like, how do you expect uh, those credit trends to either, you know, persist in the new year or maybe develop a different pattern? Um, how do you think this would play out in, in say, the next quarter or two? Um, the next quarter or two probably will be generally stable, um, given there's no additional curveball that is flowing at us, just like um, the slew of the events that we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. Um, and perhaps if financial um, conditions or economic environment continue to stabilize, um, I expect 2024 will be pretty similar um, unless there's um, significant credit deterioration, then we'll, we will see some of the um, sectors with narrowing spreads to, to um, widen mm -hmm. at some point in 2024, but I don't believe that is happening based on what we know now. Yep, got you. Well, I guess that's the perfect wrapped up for our conversation today, Alice. Thank you again for sharing your insights with us. And um, I really look forward to continue our collaboration in the new year. Thank you so much Bob, for the opportunity and um, happy new years. I'm looking, for, I'm looking forward to working with you next year. Sounds good. Thank you. For in-court coverage this week, we take a look at Diamond Sports, Rite Aid, Premier Brands, formerly known as Nine West, American Physician Partners, and the latest news in the conflicts of interest scandal tied to former bankruptcy judge David R. Jones. At an uncontested hearing on Wednesday, Judge Christopher Lopez approved the Diamond Sports Group debtor's modified telecast rights agreement term sheet with the NHL. Debtor said the new deal will allow the regional sports networks to continue broadcasting and streaming the games of 11 NHL clubs through the end of the 2023-2024 season when the debtor's rights terminate and the parties would exchange releases. The term sheet itself was filed under seal. Diamond Sports Group's counsel said the effectiveness of the debtor's cooperation agreement with lenders and the official committee of unsecured creditors to operate through October 2024 is now contingent upon an amended agreement with Major League Baseball to broadcast certain teams' games through the end of the 2024 season and an agreement on a final cash color order. On Tuesday, the Rite Aid debtors announced the extension of key dates in the sale process for their core retail assets after postponing an auction slated for December 21st. Of the new timetable, bids for the retail assets are now due January 19th and an auction will be held on January 24th. Sale hearing is set for February 6th. The U.S. Court of Appeals to the Second Circuit entered an order in the Nine West LBO Securities litigation denying a petition for panel rehearing or rehearing on bunk filed by shareholders of Nine West publicly traded predecessor of the Jones Group. 
In the rehearing petition, the shareholders sought to challenge a Second Circuit panel's November 2023 decision finding that $78 million in payroll transfers made by NinoS to certain directors, officers, and employee shareholders of the Jones Group were not shielded from avoidance and recovery by the NinoS Litigation Trust under the Bankruptcy Code Section's 546E Safe Harbor provisions. The American Physician Partners debtors filed an amended combined plan and disclosure statement on Tuesday reflecting a global settlement with the Unsecured Creditors Committee, the prepetition agent, and prepetition secured lenders. The settlement would bump up recoveries for holders of Class 4 unsecured claims and correspondingly reduce recoveries for holders of Class 2 prepetition lenders secured claims. Gux are now projected to recover 3%, up from 0.4% of the prior plan. Pre-petition secure lenders projected to recover 0.8%, down from 1.3%, on account of the secured portion of their claim. The lenders' deficiency claim would share litigation proceeds with Gux um, under a 60-40 split. Last Friday, former Judge David R. Jones moved to dismiss a lawsuit filed against him by pro se plaintiff Michael Van Dielen, who alleges Jones retaliated against him for revealing the judge's hidden relationship with former Jackson Walker attorney Elizabeth Freeman. Jones penned the motion himself, implying that the U.S. Department of Justice declined his request for representation in the matter. Jones argues that Van Dielen's complaint must be dismissed because judges enjoy absolute judicial immunity from lawsuits related to acts taken in their capacity as judges that are not undertaken in clear absence of all jurisdiction. Medical Properties Trust, AMC Entertainment, Radiology Partners, Astound, Log Me In, Dish Network, and Screen Vision Media round out this week's crop of near-term restructurings and refinancings and new advisor hires. Medical Properties Trust engaged Alvarez and Marcel Securities as financial advisor and KTBS Law and Baker Donaldson as counsel to advise the company on options to enable recovery of uncollected rent and outstanding loans from its largest tenant, Stewart Healthcare System. Stewart recently informed MPT that its liquidity has been hurt by significant changes to vendors' payment terms. Stewart obtained, liqui- obtained additional working capital financing and sold its non-core laboratory business in the fourth quarter of 2023. Total unpaid rent under Stewart's consolidated master lease with MPT was approximately $50 million as of December 31, 2023. Since the end of the third quarter, AMC has announced several debt and equity transactions that have boosted its cash balance by $300 million to more than $1 billion and reduced annualized cash interest by $17 million or 4% as of September 30th, focusing on principal reduction on second lien notes due 2026. Rear expects AMC to continue opportunistically pursuing at-the-market equity offerings and reduce debt incrementally through debt repurchases and or debt for equity exchanges. AMC will likely continue to focus debt reduction efforts on its most expensive debt instrument, the second lien notes, as it seeks to lower its $400 million annual cash interest burden. In the ongoing litigation between private equity-controlled medical providers and insurers, United Healthcare on December 27th filed a motion in Harris County, Texas, to vacate a $153 million interim arbitration award in favor of radiology partners after members of the arbitration panels were disqualified due to bias. Radiate Hold Co. doing business as Astound Broadband has had conversations with existing and third-party lenders for potential liability management transactions to boost liquidity. A potential double-dip has been mentioned, but the 2026 maturity of more than $4 billion of term loans and notes presents a challenge, sources said. Discussions are in an early stage and no decision has been made regarding the direction of a transaction. GoTo Group reached an agreement in principle with certain lenders for a debt-up-tiering transaction to boost liquidity and cut debt. Reorg analyzed Dish Network's options to address its near-term maturities at the company's DBS subsidiary. The analysis outlines a hypothetical $2.6 billion unsecured no-holder-led double-dip-plus loan transaction that would address the $1.989 billion November maturity and capture savings from DBS's unsecured notes discounted trading levels. Reorg views the transaction as a kid to starting point for negotiation with the company likely to counter with its own proposal. 
An ad hoc group of lenders to Screen Vision Media, a New York-based movie ad services provider, has organized Gibson Dunn as legal advisor ahead of 2024 and 2025 debt maturities. Four E-Brands creditors sued a vacate confirmation order, argue former Judge Jones' failure to recuse himself violated due process. MDL court exempts issuance of a billion dollars in three MCAE settlement stock from SEC registration requirements. No substantive objections to approval of endo sale plan DS filed by December 28th deadline. UST crossholder group reserve rights. Insurer seeks protective language. Oversight board files corrected fourth amended prep a Title III plan of adjustment reflecting updated Series B bond allocation. Here's Kate Thomas in New York bringing you the week ahead. Welcome to the week ahead. My name is Kate Thomas, and here are a few highlights from the upcoming week. A longer schedule of the week's events is available on the Rear website under America's Week Ahead. This week is full of disclosure statement and plan confirmation hearings. Starting off on Monday, the instant brand debtors are seeking approval of their disclosure statement for their plan of reorganization that equitizes their pre-petition term loan claims. Then on Tuesday, Endo International will request disclosure statement approval for their plan of reorganization after recently pivoting from a contested 363 credit bid sale to first lien creditors. Closing out the disclosure statement hearings on Thursday are the Wesco and Cora debtors. The Wesco and Cora debtors continue to face opposition from the ad hoc group of 2024-2026 note holders which calls the plan an attempt to moot litigation over the 2022 up-tier exchange transaction that stripped the noteholders' liens. Sandwiched between these disclosure statement hearings are planned confirmation hearings for Voyager Aviation and American Physician Partners, both on Tuesday. The Voyager Aviation debtors recently announced that certain parties have terminated their support for the debtors' restructuring support agreement because the debtors breached the December 20th planned confirmation milestone. Additionally, requests for minority noteholder Blue Bay interfered with a potential extension of the RSA milestones according to the debtors. Blue Bay, however, has disputed this account and claimed that the parties are working toward a resolution. On the other hand, the American Physician Partners debtors have what should be an uncontested plan confirmation hearing. The debtors filed an amended liquidating plan on January 2nd that reflects a global settlement with the official committee of unsecured creditors, the prepetition agent, and the prepetition secured lenders. That's it for now. For more on the week ahead, check out America's Week Ahead on the REARG website and have a great week. Thank you again for tuning in to the REARG Prime Review and our weekly review. Find all our podcasts on the REARG.com webinars and podcast pages, as well as Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, and Amazon. Take care and see you next week.